Well, good evening. A uh, very warm welcome to all of you. Uh, my name is Pastor Bruce Clark. Um, so I want to welcome you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to have you. A Merry Christmas to all of you. If you would, before we begin our service this evening, if you just grab that, quick, that cell phone real quick and put it on silent, we'd be so appreciative of that. This evening, too, as we go through our service, I hope you have, when you came in, we're handed a, a worship guide. You'll be needing that as we, uh, as we go through our service this evening. And before we are called into God's presence uh, this evening, I want to take a moment to prepare our hearts to worship him. And as we do so, I want to ask you kids, listen to this, those are you kids, do you, are you familiar with Sesame Street? Your kids, raise your hand if you've heard of Sesame Street. I don't know if they still do that. Elizabeth back there, she remembers Sesame Street. All right, okay, good. Well, that's at least one person. I, I, th- I think it was usually at the end of the program, they would say something like this. Today's program was brought to you by the letter, uh, you need just one of, the, one of the letters of the alphabet, the letter P or the letter X or whatever it might be. And tonight's program is brought to you by the letter V. Okay, kids, throughout, throughout tonight, especially as, as I give my, uh, my talk later, my sermon later, I'll be talking about the letter V, because there are ser- various important words around Christmas that have to do with the letter V. And speaking of the letter V, how many of you, you kids are familiar with the peace sign? You ever see make a few people, who knows, do the peace sign, is the peace sign right here, see that? The peace sign, now, what, now wait a minute, hold on, what letter does that make? What letter does that make? What letter is this? Ah, we're working on it. We're working on it. We're not quite there. See, a good shepherd, we're a work in progress. All right? And you're still working on things, you know. Can anyone else guess what letter this would be? It's a V. Now, why would the peace sign be a making of the letter V? It stands for a word. Do you know what word it stands for? For for victory. It stands for victory. Because in the wake of... Of victory comes what? Peace. Peace. We'll, we'll talk about that more, this idea of peace in the wake of victory. Actually, so you'll look that in your bulletin. It's taken from Isaiah chapter 9. And, and in that, God tonight, he invites us to rejoice. And he invites us to rejoice as if we were soldiers or warriors who had just won a battle. Warriors rejoicing after they had won the war. Isn't that an amazing idea? So let's, let's prepare our hearts tonight to enter into that triumphant joy. Let's, let's take a few minutes silently, prepare our hearts to do just that. When I was a kid, I liked to watch various uh, sci-fi movies and television shows, things like Star Wars and Star Trek, and I can remember being lost in a, uh, an episode of Star Trek. And uh, I was watching it, and um, it, was, it was getting to the, toward the very end, and my older brother, who um, he was uh, six or seven years older, and I, I idolized him, but um, he and I always, off, we, well, we often had a, a real tension, um, you know, just as brothers do, and he um, was always good at sort of deflating uh, just whatever I was doing. And I can remember him walking in at some point and he looked at the TV and he said, he said, uh, as if the Romulans would ever speak English. You know, sort of like this idea, like, come on, if there really were aliens, they're not going to be speaking English. You know, which 
you know, I had no response to it. I wanted to like push back in some way. Well, maybe they knew English, but how would they, right? This is idea of actually if there were life on other planets, if there were you know, life apart or outside of this world that we know of, they actually would speak a different language. And I don't, in fact, if you can think back to the movie E.T., right, that wonderful movie with this cute little uh, extraterrestrial, and you can think of how these kids, they, 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 they come across this, this figure, and you remember how he lures them into the house with the, um, I think it's with, not the M&Ms, what are they, the uh, Reese's Pieces, thank you, with the Reese's Pieces, and he goes inside, and part of the fun of the show, that what actually is an occasion for a lot of laughter through the movie, is how the kids are trying to communicate with, with, because they, don't, they actually don't share a common language. And, and at a more serious level, maybe you remember, again, this is over 20 years ago, there was a movie called Contact. And it was actually an adaptation of a story written not by Hollywood screenwriters. Um, you know, it wasn't just a simple kind of dumb episode of a TV and television series. It wasn't even sort of the mind of, of you know, of Hollywood. Think of the, the various... Uh, brilliant persons like um, uh, I think of, think of uh, who, who, Steven Spielberg when you think of E.T. but it actually was written by someone who was a very well-known astronomer and astrophysicist. It was written by a man named Carl Sagan. And Sagan was also an atheist. And in the story that Sagan writes, it's, it stars a movie, a movie actress Jodie Foster and she plays a scientist working for what's called the SETI program. SETI stands for Search for extraterrestrial life. And she discovers a signal repeating a sequence of numbers. Think about that. That's the first contact. That's the way of communicating. It's a sequence of numbers sent from another solar system about 26 light years away. And within the sequence of numbers is a message. A message. Now think about that. That Sagan, I think very, you know, very brilliantly, decides that he would use the language of math, the language of numbers, to communicate across the galaxy, or across galaxies, right? Because in a sense, math is this universal language. And what is math? It's patterns. It's patterns, isn't it? It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, ten. Well, back again, there's this, there's this predictability, there's a structure. It's a, it's a series of patterns. And it makes sense, doesn't it? How would an extraterrestrial communicate with us? How would we know that they are there? How would, in a similar way, not just an extraterrestrial, but how would God speak to us? How would we know that he's actually there. I mean, think about that. Think about how people come along and they claim to be prophets, they claim to speak in some way. How would we know that God is actually speaking to us? If there really were, if there really is a God, how would he make himself known to the world? Well, in an amazing sense, Sagan, Carl Sagan, the atheist got it right, at least according to the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, that God reveals himself. Are you ready for this? God reveals himself through patterns. But it wasn't the pattern of numbers. It was the pattern of narrative, of narrative. 
In fact, if you think about it, that's how we get to know anyone through their repeated behavior. Think of the example of a cat burglar. Think of a cat burglar who enters into a, he's breaking, he's breaking in to steal something and he breaks in in a certain way. It's the same method, the same tools perhaps. And so that he, he, and he, may, he may even leave a certain, um, a, you know, a certain sort of calling card. Those of you who remember the movies, the, the Pink Panther, there was always a, a glove that was left behind, this sort of calling card. But the idea is, as a detective, if you're, if you're tracking this burglar after the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh burglary, you know what? It's the same guy. Because there's a pattern of how he enters, a pattern of how he departs, a pattern of, of, of the clues that are left behind. And you know what? That's exactly what we see in the story of Scripture. A pattern of narrative. And even think about people. Again, I, my, my, um, my, my wife Sarah has a number of laughs that she uses. I, I love her various laughs. And, and, and at first, you know, you first meet her, you may hear a laugh and you think, oh, she's just laughing. But I know exactly what kind of laugh that is. There's, there's some, some laughs are good news and some laughs aren't so good news, right? Yeah, it's like, uh-oh, right? There's a sense of like, but, but you only learn, learn those laughs through a, a repetition, a pattern, context, and variation. And actually, Scripture claims that God reveals himself, that he shows, that is, the, that is to say that he shows that he's acting, that he's actually present in the world. He shows that he's present through certain persons by patterns. And tonight I just want to give two very briefly. When you look through the story of the Old Testament, the first pattern, the first indication that God, that the one who created all things is actually at work. Are you ready for this? Barrenness. That God loves to do something new through barren women. And that barrenness has a very poetic, powerful, it's not just about biology and the inability to conceive. Behind that, if you remember the Genesis 3 story, that God actually breaks in and he, he sort of confronts the, the man and the woman of the, of the first humanity and, 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 and as a way of hindering them, as a way of saying, hey, this whole rebellion thing is not okay, he, he sabotages or he sort of undermines some aspect of the way that they bring life to the world, the man through how he interacts with the soil and the woman through how, he she, how she gives birth to a child. Their unique abilities to contribute and bring, to produce and generate life are in a sense complicated. But and it's through that very idea of not just mere complication, it's difficult to give birth, but the idea of the impossibility of birth, of infertility. And we see that again through the Old Testament. It is through barren women, through Abraham's wife, Sarah, Isaac's wife, Rebecca. We think of Hannah, and of course, as we've seen this past, uh, this past Advent season, through Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth. But if you stop and say, well, wait a minute now. Actually, it's different with Jesus. See, with, see there's, there's pattern, but there's a, there's a twist. And that twist is, is interesting. It's a climactic twist. See, with Mary, it's not that she's barren. What's the situation with Mary? She's a virgin. Do you see the pattern? And yet, a twist. And why, why a twist? Because over this twist, God is signaling something that, hey, guess what? I'm acting as I had before, but now it's in a climactic way. 
Yeah, it's amazing to, have, to see a fer, an infertile woman bear a child. But what's truly impossible, what's truly remarkable, is to see a virgin give birth. So there's something that fits the pattern, but something that in a sense transcends and goes beyond the pattern. So that's the first pattern. That according to the scriptures that we know that God is actually communicating, that he's actually present, that he's actually at work, that there's a plan, that he is acting in and through these particular persons in history. Barrenness. But again, not just barrenness. It's through a virgin. Oh wait, kids, what was that? Virgin. This tonight's sermon is brought to you by the letter V. Remember that, a V, right? A virgin, okay? So that's the first sign, the first pattern is the idea of barrenness. But there's one more I want to share with you tonight. It's the second pattern. That pattern also involves a letter V. But it's not so much the, a letter representing a, an a, a word. It's the V as in a shape. That is to say that every agent, every person through whom God acts in the world in some amazing way. Some, the person through whom God is present is someone whose life has the shape of a V. What do I mean by that? That is to say that their life is patterned again and again by first a descent, a decline, a traumatic uh, a rejection, a humiliation. And we see that again and again through the agents that God brings into the world in the Old Testament. It's this this continued decline of rejection followed by an unexpected, dramatic reversal. Let me say that again. It's an unfair rejection followed by an unexpected reversal. We see that, for example, in the life of Joseph. If you know the Old Testament story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, here is a man who is rejected by his brothers, humiliated all the way, reduced to the the level of being a, a foreigner and a prisoner, a slave. And God, through, through unexpected circumstances, reverses that whole, that whole descent and through Joseph brings about great life to the world. We see it in the story of Moses, where Moses himself is, is, is in a sense, um, he's fostered and cultivated in the, in the, in the house of Pharaoh, and, but it's there that he, as, at the age of 40, he goes out to see his own people who are enslaved, and he tries to save them, and he himself is rejected. As I'll mention in a second, he's rejected by his own people and, is, and is actually, is actually flees for his life into the desert. But then after that comes a reversal where God appoints him and says, you are to be the one to be the deliverer of my people. Or take the person David. David himself was, was the least of, of, of the smallest, the, the youngest of seven brothers. And he has chosen and quickly begins to win victories for Israel and yet becomes an enemy of the state and is on the run. And again, there's a, there's a dramatic reversal where David is eventually raised up to be the king of God's people. So this V shape, again and again, involves unfair rejection. And here's the thing that you've got to hear tonight, especially those of you who would claim to follow Jesus. That this special agent, this person through whom God is actually present in the world, is rejected. And do you know, do you know whom he's rejected by? God's own people. Think about that. Who was Joseph rejected by? 
His own brothers. Who was Moses rejected by? His own people. Who was David rejected by so many of the Israelites, certainly by the existing reigning authorities, by King, by King Saul? They were rejected by their own people because here's the thing. It's often God's own people who are the least receptive to change. Right? I don't like to be told what to do. I like to pretend that I'm just on God's side. I'm like to pretend that I'm not part of the problem. But what it means to be the people of God by, by very virtue, what our very identity is found in the fact that we are ready, we are longing for change, not just change out there, but change in here. A willingness to be corrected, a willingness to have someone in, come into our lives to actually receive and have them reign in us so that God's purposes can stand for us and through us. So this V-shape, again, involves an unfair rejection, a rejection by God's own people, but also then an unexpected reversal. But just as we saw with the first pattern where it was involved barrenness and then a twist, it wasn't just barrenness, it was actually virginity. It's in the same way, in this same V-shaped life, we see also a twist. Because Jesus, unlike Joseph, unlike Moses, unlike David, Jesus wasn't merely rejected and then vindicated. Jesus was actually crucified. He was put to death. His V goes down even further. Not just exclusion in terms of socially, but actually put to death, crucified on a cross. But again, just as the V was lower, so now the V goes higher. And Jesus is raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father. So this V-shape life always ends up resulting in what the V ultimately stands for. What does that V stand for? What I say, kids, at the very beginning? That V stands for victory. A victory that brings peace. And that is exactly what Christmas is about. Christmas is the beginning if you will, it's Utah Beach for the, 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 the siege of God on an oppressed world. It's God breaking into the world. It's the first sign that God has come all the way down and he's here and he's among us because he is Emmanuel and he continues in his, his birth that is the very beginning of a life that is a continued descent, a continued rejection. Listen to me this evening. There is, if, you're, if your own life is one of rejection, Jesus knows what that life is like. He was rejected far more. He went all the way down and he was rejected in a way that was totally unfair. He deserved none of it. And why did he do it? Why this unfair rejection? It was a rejection for you and for me. It was a rejection that says, you know what? I will be rejected in the place of another. I will suffer. I will be sacrificed in the place of those who deserve it. Because here's the bottom line. The Christian message is this. That God did not treat Jesus as he deserved. So that, so that we might never be treated as we deserve. Isn't that beautiful? So the, the gospel really is ultimately about one who came. God was present taking on with us all the evils, all the, the hardship, the pain of this world, entering into our world and conquering 
the forces of darkness, conquering sin and death and disease, the, e- the, the evil and the, even the evil one. So that is the message, the message of Christmas. How do we know that God is present? How do we know that he's here? How do we know that there's actually a plan? It's because of these patterns, these wonderful patterns, patterns of his presence. And you know what? That pattern is actually to be lived out in all of our lives. We are to follow him into that path of rejection. We're to follow him into that pattern of loss. And you know, love, listen, if you ever want to love someone, be ready to be rejected. Because that's how love came down. That's how love was present here. Jesus came and was rejected, fully confident that his father would reverse it and bring victory, a victory that would bring peace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this Christmas we recognize that Jesus has come all the way down, that in in fulfillment of the patterns and fulfillment of the promises, we we have in Jesus one who indeed is triumphant over the forces of darkness, one who indeed is our defender, one who is our Savior. And Father, I pray that each and every person tonight will be ready to receive that change, ready to share in Jesus' own rejection, ready to love, ready to be changed, and yet also ready to be a change agent. Thank you, Father, that you have shown us again and again that you are a God who is present, a God who has a plan, a God who has made promises, a God who in every way has fulfilled them, through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, receive now the benediction. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory both now and forever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Brothers and sisters, go in peace.